0: Talking about promises, do any of y'all have a favorite promise that you'd like to talk about? There's a lot of them. Ah, that's a good one. That's You know they didn't have that in the Old Testament? Because the, uh, the Holy Spirit could, could leave them in the Old Testament. And there's a, there's a place in, uh, in the Psalms where David prayed and said, Let not thy Holy Spirit depart from me. You know? And that's all right for Old Testament people. But it's not all right for New Testament people because Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And we got a lot of benefits New Testament people that the Old Testament didn't have. You know, uh, one of the promises that I like, and I want to read it to y'all, it's in, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And remember, the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant wasn't as good as what we What, what we got. Okay, y'all all know that. But this is Old Testament, but it's still very, very good. Starting in chapter 7 verse 11 it says, Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which He swore to your fathers. And He will love you, and bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, and your new wine, and your oil, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock, in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of those terrible diseases of which Egypt, which which Terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Now, isn't that a promise? And that's Old Testament. That's not near as good as what we've got. <laughs> oh, my. We we really do need to stand on the promises of God, I'll tell you. Uh, now, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. Um... <clears throat> And I hope I don't uh, jump around too much. Uh, did you say your name is Elaine? Yes. Okay, Elaine, we have lesson books, mm-hmm. but our teachers in here, uh, right now me and Janet, we're both kind of independent. We like to listen to the voice of God, and we don't always teach according to that book. So. You know, if you read the book, you get a good lesson, but it might not be the lesson that you hear in Sunday school. So uh, we like to go by the leading of God uh, and what He's dealing with us about. We we all need to be sensitive to what He's saying, you know. And I'm going to try to contain uh, my lesson within the Scriptures today of the lesson. And I've titled our lesson today, dealing with human nature and that's probably something that we would be able to discuss and talk about from now on you know about dealing with human nature that's that's a never-ending impossible task isn't it anybody that's ever taught school will tell you that uh <clears throat> there's so many different personalities and and there's sincere and insincere people you know that'll come at you with all different things and we're going to be talking about some of those things that that Jesus dealt with today. Uh, We're going to start with uh, Luke chapter 9 and starting with verse 46. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. It says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him. Now Jesus, here he's dealing with his own disciples, you know. And it's kind of late in the Lord's ministry. I mean, he is on his way to Jerusalem, which is going to be his last trip to Jerusalem. It's going to be then and there that he goes to the cross. And nobody knows that but him. And here's these, these disciples of his arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you know. And they've got this idea that Jesus is going to, he's going to become king. He's going to be the king of all Israel and king of all the world. You know, they're going to the cross that hadn't even phased them yet. they just gone over their head every time he's told them about it. And so they're thinking, well, which one of us is going to be the greatest, which one is going to sit by the right hand or the left hand of Jesus, you know. And they're arguing about it. Strictly a carnal, worldly frame of mind. So Jesus sets a child by him, and he said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, all will be the greatest. In another one of the Gospels, in that same story there, uh, Jesus said, let him be the greatest among you, be the servant of all the rest of you. So that kind of blew a hole in their thinking, you know, when he said that. It says, now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him, because he does not follow with us now here we see denominationalism coming into play our group is better than all the other groups you know And if they're not with us they're just not right i overheard a conversation uh one time between uh two women and i'm not saying this prejudicially because it could have been two men they were talking about this this preacher that was a very good preacher you know and this one lady said well, I know he's a good preacher, but you know, he's not Southern Baptist. <laughs> In other words, he's he, he not quite as good as us. You know. <laughs> have any of y'all ever had that attitude? I have. It's wrong. It's wrong. <clears throat> it says <said, laughs> that Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us He's on our side. Now, that's a very simple answer, isn't it? You know. <clears throat> it said, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, in the old King James Version, it said he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. It's a fulfillment of one of Isaiah's. Uh, prophecies <clears throat> over back back up in verse 31 it said uh, it said he spoke of his deceit which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem he knew that he was going to the cross he knew that he was on his way to Jerusalem <clears throat> and that he was going to go to the cross and he's the only one that knew that now he told all his disciples and apostles that but it went right over their head they they It was hidden from them. They didn't know it. It says, so in verse 52, it says, And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Now, he was going to go through this village in Samaria, and he was going to lodge there for the night. And he sent disciples to prepare a place for him, to get a room, just kind of like making reservations at a motel, when you know you're going to, be, want to stay at a certain place on your journey. You know, you're just going to be there for one night, in and out. That's what he sent them there for. He said, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. They had a big disagreement on where worship should take place. The Samaritans believed that it should take place in Samaria on Mount Gerizim, which was the Blessing Mountain in Samaria, and the Jews believed it should take part in Jerusalem. And they were at odds about this, you know. I mean, for years and years about it. And uh, when they found out that Jesus was just going to come in there and stay for one night and leave, they, it made a mad. And they said, well, let's t- tell him not to come. We don't even want him here. And <clears throat> it's when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, "Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did?" But he turned and rebuked them and said, "You do not know what manner of spirit you are of." They had this idea that they was, they was the cream of the crop, and you know, and anybody that wasn't with them just wasn't of God, you know, and that God should pour down his wrath on them, you know. And, you know, we shouldn't be that way as Christians. We shouldn't be that way. When we look at other people and, and their lives and we know that they're not in, in the Lord, and they're not serving God, that they have an evil lifestyle, we shouldn't hate those people because God, died, Jesus died for them. We should love them anyway. We should love them into the kingdom of God. I've heard people say, and as some people from this church say, well, I think, God I just have a, a lot more of this old, good old hellfire and brimstone preaching. Hellfire and brimstone preaching never saved anybody, folks. What saved me was when I realized that, that Jesus went to that cross and he loved me enough to die for me. That's what got me. Not the hellfire and condemnation. That, that didn't faze me at all. I didn't get saved because I was scared of going to hell. I got saved because I realized that when I didn't care nothing about Jesus, He loved me enough to die for me. That's what got me, and I think that's what gets everybody. We don't deserve loving, but He loves us anyway. Just like the song said, He loves me when I'm good. He loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him sad. He still loves me. Jesus said, You do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. I imagine it made a little bit of hardship on them because they had planned to stop at this village and then go on the next day. But as it was, they had to bypass it and make their trip longer to go to another village, you know. So now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. You ever had somebody come up to you and make a remark trying to impress you and you know that they don't mean what they're saying? Human nature is kind of deceptive, isn't it? But none of them could fool Jesus because he knew what was in their hearts. No matter what was on their face, he knew what was in their hearts. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I think the guy wasn't very sincere at all. He was just trying to put on a a front to impress until he got out of the presence of the Lord. So Jesus said, Let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said it to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, do any of y'all remember I told you last when I called attention to a scripture last week about the kingdom of God? Uh, do you remember what it is? Remember the scripture? Do you Remember? Romans fourteen seventeen. Let's go over there. Romans fourteen and seventeen. It says, For the kingdom of God. It's not meat or drink. In other words, it's not anything physical. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. And, you know, they they preached, the scripture says, they preached the kingdom of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he preached the kingdom of God. But it doesn't actually record any of the words that he said when he was actually preaching this, the kingdom of God. You know, so it kind of leaves you up to wonder what the kingdom of God really was or what, what it is, and you don't find out until Paul tells you over in, in Romans. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, take what Jesus said here and and take the definition of what the kingdom of God is and insert it in there and it would read like this. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, we've all, I think we've all, I have, there's been times when I had my hand to the plow and looked back. Is anybody with me on that? Have you ever had any failings in your life? Have you missed opportunities to witness to somebody when when you knew that you had an opportunity, but you were just so, so involved in the in your thoughts of what you had going on in your life that you missed the opportunity and didn't realize it till later on. So, you know, we all look back, okay? I think we all agree with that. We all put our hands to the plow and, and we look back. But when we do, when we look back for too long, then we forfeit the righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit, which is the flow of God in our lives. It doesn't mean that we're not going to heaven. A lot of people have misinterpreted scriptures like that. It's very important to look up definitions in the Bible and <clears throat> what a, a term means. Like, what is the kingdom of God? Well, you don't know till you look up the definition. And Paul tells the definition. Paul had more revelation than anybody other than Jesus. It says, in chapter 10, it says, After these things... The Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Now, you know, Christians have always been lambs amongst wolves. We haven't experienced that much in this country, but we're liable to. If what Janet was talking about a while ago uh, uh, happens, we're liable to. We're liable to go through some testing. And I feel sorry for any of the pastors that, that knuckle under the, that law and decide, well, there's some, some of the gospel that we're not going to preach anymore. That same thing as denying the Lord. I really hope, if they really get serious about that and decide to put people in jail, I hope they come get me first. I do. I don't think jail would be all that bad. I don't think they got a big enough jail to put all of us in. We might might have to camp out. (laughs) <laughs> and hey hey I I have preached the gospel in prisons and it is easy to preach the gospel in prison because those people in them prisons they don't have anything to steal their affection away and when you you get face to face with them talk to them, they're interested now. I mean you got their attention they either want to hear every word you say or they don't want to hear nothing you got to say it's one or the other there ain't nothing in between and uh It's a joy to do it. He said the the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. He said, go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Now he had had a a specific task for them to do. He was sending them into the cities to preach the kingdom of God. And he gave them specific instructions not to take money bags, extra clothes, sandals, or nothing. Because he didn't want anything to steal their affection away from their task. He wanted them to have singleness of mind and heart and not be distracted by anything. Now when you, or when I, I'll put it this way, when I go on a trip, i like to have plenty of cash money with me in case i need it you know and i rely on that but i just wonder if i would be willing to to go on foot like they did you know with no money in my pocket i'd really have to trust god with that wouldn't i that's what jesus wanted he wanted them to trust him to trust him to meet their needs that's why he gave them those instructions He said, but whatever house you enter first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Have you ever been up knocking on a door? Somebody comes to the door and you could tell that they didn't want you there. Yeah. That's what Jesus is talking about. And what he was really saying is that the Holy Spirit will give you an unction to know whether you belong there or not and he said and remain in the same house eating and drinking such things as they give for the labor is worthy of his wages do not go from house to house in other words if you if you go into a house you go there they receive you 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 sense that they want you there and but they're poor people maybe they don't have the finest of things and you look around, you see people around that's got better houses and more money, and maybe they eat a little better. Don't pick up and leave the house where you're standing and go over there just because you think you'll get a better deal over there at the other house. He said, no, don't do that. He says, once, once, once the Lord makes a place for you, stay there. And he said, eat whatever is set before you. Now, that would be hard, kind of hard for a Jew to swallow, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean, if you're a sure enough Jew, and and they set before you uh, something like, like uh, pork chops or something like that, you know, was not that too good? But he said, you eat whatever you. He said, whatever whatever center you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. In other words, whatever they're serving, you eat it. Now, he was kind of revealing uh, the freedom under under the new covenant, wasn't he? He says, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. The righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit has come near you. If you learn definitions of these terms, like the kingdom of God, and get it burned down into your consciousness and your soul, then every time you run across that term in the Bible, it will remind you of the definition, and it will give you a better understanding. And every time, you go, every time you run across the kingdom of God, you'll think about the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That puts a little more meat on the hook, doesn't it? It says, but whatever city you enter... And they do not receive you. Go out to its streets and say, The very dust of this city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God, the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit has come near to you. You know, there's only one righteousness that exists. That's... In God's eyes is acceptable to him, and that is His righteousness. We don't have any righteousness of our own. When the Bible says there's none righteous, no not one, let's talk about lost people who do not have the Lord. People who have the Holy Spirit inside have the righteousness of God inside and and the way the reason we can become more righteous In our lives is because he's there producing it. It's his righteousness. It's ours to enjoy. But it's not ours to take credit for. Because we didn't earn it. You cannot earn anything that you get from God. He said, but I say unto you, it will be more tolerable in in that day for Sodom than for that city. He says, woe to you to woe to you Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you, and you Capernaum who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades, he who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, Capernaum, you know, that was... Jesus hung around there a lot. And what he was saying is that, you know, the people that were there that did not believe him, that rejected him... Can you imagine rejecting Jesus? I can't, I can't imagine that. Some did. We, can't be, we don't need to be surprised when people reject us when, they, when we know that they rejected him. He said, don't be surprised when the world hates you because it hated me before it hated you. It says, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, a lot of people still believe that Satan is in heaven. Satan fell from heaven a long time ago. When the, when the Satan and the angels his followers angels rebelled against God, there was a war in heaven and God kicked them out right then and they ain't never been back. They're not ever going back. He says, "Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you." Now, he wasn't talking about snakes and scorpions that we know about, you know. A different class of demons is what he was talking about when he said scorpions and serpents. You know, in the past we've had uh, different groups of people in, in this country that believe in handling snakes and their services. That's, that's strictly a carnal interpretation of God's word. When you take a, a snake's habitation is on the ground, isn't it? Okay. When you pick him up off of his habitation, he's powerless. I have actually caught rattlesnakes and got them right here, just like that, and walked around with them like that, and they're just are wiggling all over the place. I've done that. When you take a snake off of his, his habitation, he's not in his domain anymore. And what Jesus was saying, when he said you can trample on serpents and scorpions, he, said, he was saying, hey, all the power of the enemy is under your foot. If you learn how to fight the warfare and put on the whole armor of God that Paul talked about, then then the power of the enemy is nothing he'll flee from you if you learn how to fight the warfare of course Jesus didn't bring you that out Paul did uh, later on he said behold I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions on another place he said these signs shall follow those that believe you know and he gave some signs and one of those signs was they'll tread on serpents now that don't mean they are walking on snakes or handling snakes That means that the power of the devil is under your foot. And Jesus bought and paid for all that when he died on the cross. He said, Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That brings us back to grace, doesn't it? Why is your name written in heaven? Because Jesus died on the cross for you. Because you, you, you believed it. Set all your, all of your confidence in that one fact. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I sure hope I make heaven. I don't understand that statement. I don't understand it. Nobody's going to make heaven. It sounds like it's something that you have to achieve. In this life, you know, he had to be good enough to go to heaven. Being good doesn't make you righteous, it just keeps you out of trouble. It said, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. God reveals things, folks, and he don't always reveal it to the smartest people. I've said this before, and I want to say it again. I don't have the ability to stand up here and teach a Sunday school lesson, and I know it. If God doesn't give me the ideas and the thoughts to speak then i'm just i'm a total failure i have to rely on his grace i have tried to prepare sunday school lessons and get it all established in my mind and it's a laborious laborious task when you do that it takes hours and hours day after day to prepare a lesson I can't do that. I, I never get it straight. Never comes out right. It's such a laborious task. It's better for me, and this is just me. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should be that way, but when I go to studying for a lesson, the first thing I do is get alone with God and I worship Him and I pray. And I read the text over a few times and spend some time studying, but actually when I get up to speak, I don't know what I'm going to say until I get up there. And I rely on the Lord for that. And He always, He always comes on the scene. He always gives me what to say. And it's so much easier just to rely on Him than it is to rely on this thing up here to do everything. We're not supposed to lean to our own understanding. Isn't that right? He he says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one whom the Son wills to reveal Him. There we go again. God reveals things. He has revelations for you and me to have that we don't have yet? He's got them for us. They're all out there in front of us. Maybe we haven't got them yet because we haven't sought Him enough yet. Do we all have a prayer room? Do we spend time with God? How much time do we spend with God? How much of our hearts actually belong to Him? That's the question. And I can tell you for sure that God really doesn't have all of my heart because if He did have all of my heart, I would be living the same life that Jesus lived. Exactly the same life that Jesus lived. But God reveals things to us He revealed things to Paul. He revealed more things to Paul than anybody that ever preached the gospel. And yet Paul said at the end of his his life, he said, I will come to revelations in the Lord. He was saying, I know that God's got more for me than I've received right now. Even though I've received all this stuff and wrote it down for you, God has got more for me to receive than I have received. We serve an awesome God, and His, the stuff that He has given to us and put before us is infinite. It's infinite. He says, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see these things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. He's saying, "You, You boys don't realize how blessed you are. I wonder if he'd be saying the same thing to us. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Now here comes a lawyer. You know, I've, I've had some dealing with some lawyers, and, and I respect their intelligence, but I've run across a lot of crooked ones. You've got to watch them. They're sneaky. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus came right back at him. He didn't answer him. He asked him a question. You ever notice that Jesus answers a question with a question sometimes? He said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, this lawyer was sharp, wasn't he? And he said unto him, "You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live." Now here comes. It takes a while to draw out the real motive, but here he comes with the real motive. It says, "But he, wanting to justify himself, justify himself." Like when you read when you read about Job, it says Job uh, maintained his integrity. Folks, we don't have no integrity. We do have the privilege of walking in God's integrity, but we don't have any of our own. <clears throat> he wanted to justify himself. He said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus gave him a story. He says, Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell among thieves, and who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying the organized religion of the day don't care about down and out people, all they care about is their status. do you think, was neighbor to him who fell amongst thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Jesus kind of calmly and patiently erased all that justifying himself deal that the lawyer came up with. And he gave him a task that if he went and did it, uh, he would have to have a real sincere heart to do that. So, he, you know, Jesus knows how to put the self-righteous in their place. And that's what he did with this lawyer. It said, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him, and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh, boy. Lord, I'm preparing this meal. I'm going to serve all these people, and she ain't helping me a bit. Now you help. You tell her to come help me. Is that what she was saying? And Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha. Now you know why he said that two times? Because he didn't get her attention the first time. Fella came up to me at work one day, and and he in a kind of a mocking way he came up to me and he said, "Verily, verily, verily, verily." I said, "What, what do you mean? What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, you you're a Christian. You you taught that Bible." I said, "I just I was just uh, quoting something what the Bible says." I said, "Well, verily, verily, it means truly, truly." And when God says that, it's... The reason he says it twice is because he didn't get the attention of the person when he said it the first time. So he says, truly, and the guy's not paying attention to him, and he says, truly. Now, this, this uh, instance there, he, he, he says, Martha, and he didn't get her attention. So he says, Martha. Gets her attention. He said, "You are worried and troubled about many things." He's telling her what what her problem is. She, he says, now listen to this. He says, "But one thing is needed," and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be a taken, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. Martha was too busy for that. She didn't recognize the importance of it. Now, if Martha had been like Mary, she would have been sitting at Jesus' feet too. In fact, the whole bunch would have been sitting at Jesus' feet, teaching, and they would have all been tuned in and listening to him. And then after he got through teaching, they would have had a meal somewhere or another Lord might have just made one, miraculously, I don't know. <clears throat> but Martha was burdened down with the responsibility of preparing this meal for all these people. And she missed out on the important thing in her life, and that was hearing God's Word. D- does, that, does that apply to us, you think? You think we get too busy attending to things that we think are so important And miss out on what God has to say to us? Could be, huh? He says, she has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. When God reveals something to you by His Spirit you don't lose it. You don't lose it. When God gives you a revelation of something in your your life whether it applies to you or some truth in His Word, whatever, when God truly gives you a revelation, you don't lose it. And when it's time for you to depart and me to depart and leave this life <coughs> there is something that we can take with us and that is all the good things that god has given us that he's revealed to us in our lives you don't lose that you don't never lose that and you know i think <clears throat> We all wonder what heaven's going to be like when we leave here and go be with the Lord. I think God is infinite. I think there's no end to Him. There's no end to Him. And there's no end to the learning that we will be Doing when we get to heaven, we will we will eternally be learning more and more and more of the good things of God, and it will never end. You know that's when you talk about something that doesn't end or something that can't end. That's that's completely foreign to human thinking. You know, human thinking uh, says, "Well, you know that's impossible," even though God has created. Created the universe, and we can we what we know about the universe is that it is infinite. It's, it doesn't end. There's no beginning, no end to the to the universe, and that's God's way of showing us that there is no beginning or end to Him. That He's all good, and that's the end of our lesson today.